ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80. Shay Cornette, Chris Canty here with you. And we're a few days removed now from the Super Bowl and the Rams celebrating in the streets of L.A. But there's someone who might still be, you know, nursing a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover, I'll put it that way. And that would be Ernest Jones, Los Angeles Rams linebacker, who joins us now on ESPN Radio. Ernest, uh, what has the last few days been like for you after rolling in the confetti, being in a parade, nursing some sort of a hangover perhaps? Take us through the last couple of sleeps for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um it, it it's been amazing like definitely nursing a few of those hangovers but other than that the the parade was amazing just being out there seeing all the fans and just knowing what we've just done for the city of los angeles it just it it's, it means a lot and it's been crazy being out here Ernest, you finished up your college career at South Carolina. You jumped straight into the pre-draft process. You got the combine. You got the pro day. You have draft day. And then you jump straight into rookie mini camps, OTAs, training camp, an extended regular season with 17 games, and then four games in the postseason and winning the Super Bowl. What has this year felt like for you? Because, I mean, essentially you've been working nonstop for the last calendar year. Oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's been a blur, like, just like, I mean, probably today I've really sat down and just realized, man, you've been going for so long. Like, you're finally done. Like, you don't have to get up and go to no football workouts or practice or anything like that. So <laughs> I've just been going nonstop. And then the 17-week season, you know, got expanded. Then we take it all the way into the Super Bowl. So I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't want to, you know, take an early exit, of course, but – uh, it, it it has been, you know, a, a constant, constant thing. And so now that you do have some time off, by the way, talking to Ernest Jones, Los Angeles Rams linebacker, uh, Super Bowl winner, all of the things. Now that you do have a, some time to take a step back and relax a little bit, what are the next few weeks, months, off season going to look like for you? Oh, vacations! I'm going vacation, <laughs> dude. Get me, get me one or two in, and then I'm going to get back to work, like. The boys, we were talking about repeating yesterday, so that just motivated me. Let's let's do it again. So I'm ready to get back to work, really. Ernest, I got to ask you this question because you're a stacked linebacker. What's it like when you're lining up and you see number 99 in front of you? What do you feel like pre-snap when you know that you got the baddest defensive player in the NFL lined up in front of you? Well, I know, I know, I know. I don't have to worry about too many linemen trying to get up and worry about <laughs> the old rookie. But just seeing him there, like the confidence, the motivation that you get just from seeing that ninety-nine, and just knowing that his presence is going to be felt, it, it's uh, it's it's crazy. Like he he's a beast. Talking to Ernest Jones right now, Los Angeles Rams linebacker. Speaking of that 99, you know, there's some rumors swirling that he might be retiring. I know you share a locker room with the dude. You heard him say they want that you guys want to run it back yesterday at the parade. What's your instinct on if he's coming back to this Rams squad? You know, I, I feel like he's coming back. I don't I don't think he's going to hang it up yet. I don't think so. That's promising for Rams Ernest, fans, Ernest, let me tell you. <laughs> Ernest, I, I'm sure a lot of Rams fans are excited to hear that from you. But I got to ask you this question because, and I get it, you're a rookie, but usually in the NFL you don't see teams that are quote-unquote super teams have success at the highest level. And you guys have stars all over the field. I mean, Matt Stafford, mm-hmm. number one overall pick. Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in all of football. Jalen Ramsey, the best corner in all of football. Cooper Cup, the best wide receiver in all football. Von Miller, a Super Bowl MVP. And then Odell Beckham Jr. 
What's that locker room like? What's that culture like that allows you guys to all come together and check the egos at the door and commit to the team-first agenda? What has that been like witnessing that as a rookie in this league? I mean, for me, first coming in, and I know, like, even guys that we acquired during during the season, I know they, they'll attest to this. Like, we embody that we-not-me mentality. Everybody truly just wants to win. Everybody every day comes in, comes in ready to work. And we truly just want to go out there and dominate and be world champions like we've just done and just win um, playing with those guys. It's, it's incredible just the amount of knowledge that I've been able to gain from each of those guys. And then you throw Eric Weddle in the conversation. It's like, it's unmatched. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I really got set up pretty well to have a good, you know, future. What is the Ernest, what is the biggest thing that you've learned from some of those veterans that have been around you? What's the biggest lesson that you've gotten in your rookie season from those guys? Um, for me it's been the body. Like you you always get, you know, how to take care of your body, but I think one of the big things is like just watching those guys and the mental edge and how mentally how do they go about their day, like how do they attack certain things and just seeing how, like, how they, you know, go about the day-to-day of being that top, you know, guy at their position, which each of those guys are. So just watching them and learning, like, by their actions has been great. We're talking to Ernest Jones, linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams, Super Bowl champ. Now, I know he plays on the other side of the ball in terms of Matt Stafford, but what he brought to this team, and again, I know you're a rookie, so this is your first experience, obviously, at the NFL level, but in terms of leadership, how did your quarterback help lead this team to the place that you guys got to at the end of the season? It's that it's that quiet leadership. Like, you just always can depend on nine. Like, you just know that, it, that nine's going to come through, that he's always there, and if he has to be vocal, he can do that as well. But just that that – that number nine that you can just say when he puts that jersey on, you just feel confident and you know that he's he's the right leader and he's the right leader for our team. Ernest, I'm going back to the third quarter of the Super Bowl and you saw the big play T. Higgins hit on you guys to start out the second half and then Matt Stafford throws the interception and then the the Bengals have the ball point-blank range essentially almost in the red zone and Aaron Donald comes up with two sacks over the course of those three plays. To me, that was one of the most pivotal points in the game. What did Aaron mm-hmm. Donald say to the defense when you guys had to go back out there in that sudden change situation after that turnover and come up with that big stop? Um, he was just telling us to bow up. And at that point, once we seen the pick, it's like everybody, it was almost like uh, constant. Like everybody kept saying it. Like, this is where we'd be great. We want to be a great defense. Let's go be legendary right here. Let's go make a stop or get a turnover. And let's 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 go stand strong right here. So a lot of the guys were just out there saying, bow up and let's let's go. Let's get it. Well, you guys went and got it, that's for sure. Ernest Jones, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Before we let you go, you said there's about two vacations in your future. Where's the first one to? Uh, I've never seen snow before, so I'm going to go to Denver, Colorado with my girl. And then we're going to um, go to Hawaii. Man, how did you nice. Not, how have you been how do so I lucky? Get, how do I get on that Ernest Jones right? itinerary? And That's what I want. Like, For a rookie, now. you got it figured out, Ernest. I'm going to tell you that much. Seriously. Going to Denver and then Hawaii, that's the win. That is the win, man. That's for sure. <laughs> Ernest Jones, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, buddy. Thank y'all.
See you later. That's Ernest Jones, linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams, currently booking a flight to Hawaii, which makes me feel like, wow, my life is lame. Yeah, Shay, I'm trying to, I'm trying to roll with the winners on that one. How can right. I be a part of the Ernest Jones tour during the offseason? Rolling with the Super Bowl champ. I'm just saying I need a little bit of that in my life. I could probably do without the cold because I live in the tri-state area, but that Hawaii trip sounds like it's right up my alley. Yeah, I'm with you. With I, I, no, I, if I never see snow again, I'm straight. Like I'm cool. If I never see snow again, I'm just trying. Like I'm going through the Rams schedule. Like how did he never see snow even this year playing in the NFC? But yeah, I guess they were never in that kind of situation. But this is something to keep in mind now when the Rams next season. Because I remember it was a three years ago when the Rams came to Chicago. And, man, that Bears defense shut them down. I covered that game, and it was so cold. They were like, oh, L.A., they can't handle this cold weather and the snow. I'm going to remember this now, that that defense hasn't seen much snow next season when they set their schedule. All right, we got a lot more to get to. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. All you got to do is visit Progressive.com. Shay Cornette, Chris Canty here with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And the question now that we're talking the NFL and what's going on there is which new NFL head coach has the toughest job on their hands as we look ahead to next season? We'll talk about it next. You're listening to ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Rolling right along here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Candy, what did you say? It's not You didn't say Weekend Eve. What did you call Thursday? Yeah, Weekend's Eve. Oh, you did call it Weekend's Eve. I like weekend's that. I might Eve, use yeah. that. He's Chris Candy. I'm Shay Cornette. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we're staying with this NFL theme since we were talking a lot of Rams football last last uh, segment. And then before that, who's going to compete with the Rams? But now let's look forward because there were quite a few teams now with new head coaches. Texans have Lovey Smith now. Saints have Dennis Allen. Bears with Matt Eberflus. Broncos with Nathaniel Hackett. Raiders, Josh McDaniels. Vikings, Kevin O'Connell, who was introduced just this week. Dolphins, Mike McDaniel. Giants, Brian Dable. And then the Jags hired Doug Peterson. So of those that I listed, we've already talked about the positives. Let's go negative, because why not? Because it's Weekend's Eve. Who do you think is going to have the biggest uphill climb, if you will, this upcoming season? I'm going with Lovey Smith with the Houston Texans. And we saw the job that David Culley did last year. And that team, for all intents and purposes, exceeded expectations. Nobody thought that the Houston Texans were going to be a four-win team. We thought that that was going to be a team that was in the running for the number one overall pick. And the fact that they're not is a miracle in and of itself. So I'm looking at the situation now. They don't have a ton of cap room projected to have $17 million. Now we know that that could change if Deshaun Watson ends up getting dealt. But this is a situation where we don't know if there's going to be a team willing to deal Deshaun Watson, deal for Deshaun Watson, with all of the civil lawsuits still pending and the criminal investigation as well. So that becomes there's that cloud that's still hanging over that organization. And then you have the Jack Easterby, Nick Casario contingent, and we don't necessarily know exactly what that's going to lead to. So I don't know that Lovey Smith is in a position that's enviable when it comes to any of these coaches because just the degree of difficulty with a team that doesn't really know what it's going to do at the quarterback position, a team that doesn't have an identity, a team that had the worst offense in the National Football League and the second worst defense in the National Football League, I don't know that they can infuse this roster with enough talent mm-hmm. to be competitive. And if what David Culley did do, did last year didn't wow Nick Casario – in the way of giving him another year to see what he was capable of turning his program into, I can't have expectations that Lovey Smith is going to do that either. So I'm looking at this and saying, 
there is a huge uphill climb for Lovey Smith to be able to earn the right to be the coach for the Houston Texans in 2023. I'll agree with you. The only thing I'll say is Davis Mills, to me, was a pleasant surprise this past He was. Season. He was. Of all the first round and NFL quarterbacks that we talked about coming out of this draft, no one was ta- – or second round, no one was talking about Davis Mills. And I thought he was a very pleasant surprise. So maybe Lovey Smith, although he's a defensive-minded guy, can help out with that. I'm they go with- fired the guy that helped develop yeah. Davis Mills, though. That's the part that I That's don't understand true. because he did show very well. But David Culley was instrumental in that. Let's keep in mind, David Culley was the quarterback's coach one once upon a time for one Josh Allen. So, I mean, it's not like David Culley doesn't know how to work with quarterbacks, but if they like what they saw from Davis Mills, don't you think you would have wanted to keep David Culley around? I'm just saying the degree of difficulty in terms of being able to prove to them that they they deserve to be the guy to continue to develop the program, it seems like that's a pretty unrealistic bar for their head coaches to clear, whether it's David Culley or now Lovey Smith. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I thought David Culley really had an unfair shake at the end of the season. I love Lovey Smith, but it's going to be an uphill climb for him, especially in that division. Speaking of tough divisions, I'm going to go with Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins because mm-hmm. look at their division, why don't you? And you'll talk about the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots, two playoffs teams, two teams that are only going one direction, in my opinion, and that would be up. And then you look at the Miami Dolphins and Tua Vailoa, who I feel like we still haven't seen his best football out of him yet. The conversation between McDaniel and Tua Vailoa via FaceTime that was put all over the internet was extremely awkward, in my opinion, and I hated that I was a part of it in terms of it being videotaped. <laughs> also, the Dolphins, 25th in turnovers. They gave it away almost two times every single game. They were 25th in offensive touchdowns per game. That ain't good enough, especially in that division against those teams that you're going to play twice. Oh, and by the way, the Jets, who are typically in the gutter, are probably going to be better next season. At least you'd hope so. They're 20th and third down defense. The Bills and Patriots were both top five. Again, the two teams that you're going to have to play two times in one year. 29th in field goal percentage and 18th in net yards per punt. Terrible. And then if you look at who's been successful this season, and why don't I look to the guy that, or to the team you were talking about in the last segment, Canty, and that would be the 49ers. If you figure out a way if you're not a good quarterback, let's just say, and so Tua, maybe he's not, you know, he's not Josh Allen, and he's not even Mac Jones, okay? But if you can figure out a way to get it to your playmakers and let them make plays, kind of like what Jimmy Garoppolo did with that 49ers team, yards after catch would come into play here and be important. Well, where does Miami rank? In the bottom of the league, 24th in yards per catch after the reception was allowed. And these are areas that are just not great to be bad at. And so what McDaniel has on his hands here is growing a quarterback, figuring out a way that there can be chemistry with those playmakers on the team and letting the playmakers actually do their job and limiting turnovers and being good in division. It just feels like such an uphill climb for me for this Miami Dolphins team. Can't yeah, and it was a team that was led by their defense. Let's also keep in yep. mind, that was the identity of their squad, led by Brian Flores, mm-hmm. and now you're mm-hmm. talking about him being on the outs. This was a defense last year that was eighth in takeaways. That was their calling card under Flores the last couple of years, which is what allowed them to have a winning record, which is what allowed them to come back from having a 1-7 and seven start to finishing 9-8. and eight. So I'm a little bit surprised that Miami went the direction of firing Brian Flores, and I'm interested to see what the identity of this team is going to be moving forward because you mentioned it, Shay, this doesn't seem like a franchise that sold on Tua being the guy, and so it seems like they're going to roll with him under Mike McDaniels, but I still – I'm still at a point where there's some show and prove when it comes to whether or not 
he's going to be the long-term answer. First of all, he's got to be able to stay healthy. But then second of all, he's got to get rid of those one or two plays that he has every single game. That are he makes those bonehead mistakes yeah. that lead to turnovers. He's got to figure that part out. But then also, we've got to figure out what this defense is going to be. And the Miami Dolphins have some really, really interesting young players on that side of the ball. Javon Holland, a safety, you can line that guy up anywhere, whether he's in the deep middle of the field or at the line of scrimmage. He's going to make plays. You look at that game that they played on Thursday night against the Baltimore Ravens, he was all over the place. You look at Jalen Phillips, their pass rusher. He had eight and a half sacks last year. Like, they've got some pieces that you would like to see continue to trend in an upward direction. And I don't know that firing Brian Flores doesn't interrupt that progress. So that would be my concern when it comes to the Miami Dolphins. I'm with you. I think that job becomes a lot harder knowing that you have Chris Greer in that front office and not necessarily believing in the track record that we've seen from him over the past several years when it comes to drafting and use or the allocation of their salary cap dollars. So Chris Greer, to me, adds another degree of difficulty to that gig. And you mentioned the defense. It doesn't help that there's reports now coming out of Miami that the coaching, that other people on the coaching staff and players in the locker room are not happy that their defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, has retained his position after Brian Flores left as that D coordinator. That also doesn't help your case, not even a little bit, if you are Mike McDaniel. So, again, an uphill climb, I believe, for the Miami Dolphins. Let's go back to the NBA, though. What is the Lakers' outlook for the remainder of the regular season, and who's to blame for the Knicks' disappointing loss last night and the disappointing Pointing season so far. ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio, the ESPN App Series XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Shay Cornette, Chris Canty here with you. Lots going on in the NBA. Speaking of, ESPN Radio is you covered for all of the NBA All-Star festivities. Tune in Friday at 9 p.m. For the Clorox Rising Stars game, coverage of the State Farm All-Star Saturday night begins at 8 p.m. And tune in Sunday for the 2022 NBA All-Star game live from Cleveland, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Uh, All right, Katie, let's now welcome in Vincent Goodwill, Yahoo, senior NBA writer. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Vince Goodwill. Great follow, by the way. Uh, Vince, thanks so much for being with us. There's so much to get to. And while I wish I could sit here and talk to you about our Bulls, instead, let's start with the Lakers. (laughs) And uh, what's going on? Because now it looks like Anthony Davis, while he is getting an MRI today, will be out at least two weeks. Uh, Despite getting a W yesterday, there's just issues upon issues for this Lakers team. So what does the remainder of this regular season look like for the Lakers, and how do they make their way into the postseason? Do we have to talk about the Lakers? I know. I don't want (laughs) to either. Trust me. (laughs) No, no, no. I get it. I feel like the only reason we're talking about them is because of the name on the package and because LeBron plays there. Other than that, that doesn't feel like there's a lot of intrigue other than what we've seen. And what we've seen is an inconsistent at-best team with a really, really great but older player. And Anthony Davis was supposed to be the guy that helped carry this team from the LeBron era or the tail end of LeBron's career into this next iteration, and he can't stay on the floor long enough Two, remember, guys, two weeks is an early estimate. Like, with the way that that ankle turned over, I wouldn't be surprised if it was much longer than that, especially when you consider Anthony Davis's, you know, health history and everything else. And I know people are bending over backwards trying to figure out some way to say how the Lakers can use this as a galvanizing force and that guys will step up with increased roles. But haven't we seen LeBron out for stretches this season? Haven't we seen Anthony Davis out for increased stretches this season? And this team is what they are. 
the good news for them, the only good news for them, is that the teams behind them in the West aren't really trying to win. So they could basically be exactly where they are, right at the edge of the play-in, and feel like that they have a chance because they have LeBron, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis when those three guys haven't amounted to much this year. VG, as the resident Lakers fan, I've relegated my point myself to the position that this is going to be a team that's in the play-in and that's not going to amount to much because if they do get in the postseason, you're talking about having dates with the Phoenix Suns or the Golden State Warriors, maybe the Memphis Grizzlies, but either way, you're going to be one series and out. So I want you to put your GM hat on big picture. What do the Lakers do with this team? I mean, LeBron James is going to be there. What do they do with Anthony Davis? What do they do with Russell Westbrook moving forward? Because it's clear that that trio is not leading to the results that the organization is looking for. Chris Cantor, we're going to talk about you and your Laker fandom, considering you are a New Yorker now, but it ain't much to cheer about in New York right now either, so I totally get why you're a fan <laughs> of the Lakers at this point. But, but, but honestly, it, it's working around the margins. If you've got LeBron making max money, Anthony Davis making max money, and yes, Russell Westbrook is probably going to opt into his, Ooh, the last year of his deal. That's $47 I mean, million. Why would he opt out? He's not, he's, not, he's, not, to play? <laughs> he's not opting out. To be clear, he's not opting out. But that's ugly player, Russell Westbrook, $47 million. It is, it is Mama Payne ugly. Like Mama's, Martin's Mama ugly. That's how ugly that, that is. I, right, think, I think this, this is going to sound ugly, but maybe buy out Russell Westbrook over the summer and bite that bullet. The problem is the Lakers are a family franchise, not necessarily a corporate franchise. And not to say that they're going to, you know, plead poverty, but that's going to be a tough thing for them to do. Maybe you can stretch Russell Westbrook's money or whatever, but even still, you'll be over the cap. You'll still be old and you don't have any draft picks. It's almost like you're, here's the question, guys. Do you trade Anthony Davis? Or do you just ride this out and try to figure everything out on the back end of LeBron's contract? Because I don't see much of any, like, you know, two-minute answers for this team and this franchise. I'm sure they're going to do something with the coach because it's easy to fire the coach, but I don't think that's a problem for them. He may not be the best coach in the league, but I certainly think amongst the list of problems the Lakers have, Frank Vogel ain't up at the top of them. Uh, speaking of having a lot of problems, the New York Knicks are another team that have got some issues. We're talking to Vincent Goodwill <laughs> right now, Yahoo senior NBA writer. Uh, the Knicks last night managed to blow a 28-point lead to the Nets and take an L. Um, and they have lost double-digit leads in the fourth quarter, double-digit up 20 leads this month multiple times. Who's to blame for the Knicks' problems? I mean, I guess it would be easy to say Tom Thibodeau, right? You know, because you always point to the coach. And you always point to the guy that's most visible. And Tibbs, as I'm sure you know from Chicago, is is this guy that's very polarizing. And he's a guy who runs, I won't say runs hot and cold, but you saw what you saw last year. They overachieved last year. And I think they might have fallen in love with what they saw last year as opposed to maybe sticking with a plan that said, hey, these guys aren't necessarily good enough. Let's try to package them and move on. Like I think they should have gotten off of Julius Randle a little bit and maybe tried to have – you know, moved him for a De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento, but I don't think Tom Thibodeau wanted that. And the fact that you have Leon Rose, who was a big-time agent, and now he's the top executive there, and nobody knows what he looks like. Nobody knows what his voice sounds like. It's like this man is a human walking Kaiser Soze, except he's running everything at Madison Square Garden right now. I don't know 
who's to blame? But when you look at the roster, you don't you can't say they're overachieving. When Derrick Rose gets back, I think it's going to make things a little bit better because he's going to settle things down. But again, you're looking at a team that starting from the playoffs last year really got exposed, and they haven't made much alterations from what the game plan is other than let's try to get a start and maximize what we have out of this roster with Tibbs, except they're doing none of that. Talking with Yahoo senior NBA writer Vincent Goodwill on ESPN Radio. And VG, the Phoenix Suns are going into the All-Star break six and a half games clear of the second-best team in the Western Conference, which would be the Golden State Warriors. The last team to do that? was the Chicago Bulls in 96-97, led by Michael Jordan. Now, I, I don't certainly don't see that team in that lens, but I got to ask <laughs> you, is there another team in the Western Conference that we should be viewing as the favorite to represent the West in the NBA Finals, or is it the Phoenix Suns? I, I think it would be very easy to discount Golden State, but remember, they've been out without Draymond Green for a quite a while now. And the Warriors issued an update yesterday, which really didn't say a whole lot other than he'll be ramping up a little bit of his activity after the All-Star break. I want to see what this Golden State team looks like with a healthy-ish Draymond Green, with a healthier Clay Thompson before I'm able to make the drastic statement that they're washed and that the Phoenix Suns are going to represent the West in the finals. But I'll tell you what, those rabbit dogs in Memphis, mm. they don't scare anybody. They're not afraid. They will come into your building and take your fans and do everything that they can to basically embarrass you. And I think if you're a team like Phoenix or Golden State, that's a team you don't want to see because they don't, they're too stupid to know better. And mm. usually those are the teams that if they start to figure it out as a season, as a series goes on, that clock may speed up. But just as a whole, guys, Phoenix is really impressive. They don't beat themselves. They have a style that they play to. They have a culture there. I'm really impressed by the focus that they've had because a lot of times usually you lose in the finals the regular season becomes a slog. They have taken a regular season as serious as any team that I've seen that lost in the finals and came back the next year. So as a, to make a long story longer, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked to see Phoenix represent the West in the NBA finals. I wouldn't be shocked to see them win the whole thing. VG, you brought up the Memphis Grizzlies, and John Moran dropped a 44-piece nugget last night. And so I got to ask you, man, based on what you've seen from him this year, is he a top-10 player in the NBA? Oh, he's a top 10 performer this year. Absolutely. And I think when we say top 10 player, you're, you're encompassing a bunch of different things. You're talking about a player's pedigree, his talent, and, and all of that. But we're talking about just performance this year. Yeah, he's got to be a top 10 player, top five player. I don't think you would include DeMar DeRozan as a quote-unquote top 10 player by a traditional sense, but he's performing so far above what people believe his skill set to be. You have to include guys like that. To me, performance matters. Skill set is very important, but performance matters a lot. And considering the fact that the two best players in the game this year are arguably big men in Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, and probably the third best player is probably Giannis, and neither one of these players are named Steph, LeBron, or Kevin Durant, I think it's very important that you put guys like John Morant and DeMar DeRozan in that conversation as being top 10 players because of how they're performing. Just so you know, he said that Giannis was the third best player, Canty. How you feel? Yeah, that's that? yeah. Giannis the best player in the NBA. Giannis the best player in the NBA. I hear you, VG, but I don't feel you on that one. I knew it. his ears uh, were I'm burning. Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that with conviction. Let me just be perfectly honest. Right? <laughs> he backtracked a little now. See that? All right, Vincent Goodwill. Thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you soon. 
Absolutely, guys. You guys take it easy. See ya. That's Vincent Goodwill, Yahoo Senior NBA writer. Follow him on Twitter, at Vince Goodwill. Great follow. Knows his stuff in the NBA. He's covered it for a long time, and he's got all the ins and outs. Staying in the NBA. Coming up, Zion Williamson might need a second surgery now on that injured foot. Have we already seen him peak, and was it at the college level? What is going on? We'll talk about it next. We'll listen to Chris Canty and Shea Cornette on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Chris Canty, Shea Cornette here with you on ESPN Radio. We're also on the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80 and pre- presented by Progressive Insurance. Okay, some I'm going to call it sad news out of the NBA because – it just feels like the the news with Zion Williamson goes from bad to worse, depending on what month it is. We are now being mm-hmm. told that Zion Williamson, who plays for the New Orleans Pelicans, may need a second surgery on that injured foot. He's already missed so much time. In his first three seasons in the NBA, he's only played in 85 games. I have no idea what this player can be at this level. And now we might not see him for the remainder of this season. Again, he's been in the league for three years now, and we've just seen like little snippets of this version of Zion Williamson. Honestly, the most lasting image of Zion is his college days and him ripping through a Nike shoe. Like, what do you make of this news? And how sad is it? Because this is supposed to be a generational talent, a guy that was going to change an entire franchise, a guy that was going to come into this league similar to what LeBron James did and be the face of an entire league. And we're over here talking about Ja Morant every single day. Where is Ja? What is Ja doing? And we have no idea what Zion Williamson is. Yeah, we haven't seen a talent like Zion Williamson in a really long time, a player that has his physique, his body type, and somebody that projects to be somebody that could potentially, you know, ascend to that LeBron James level. We we haven't seen that combination in the NBA in a really long time. I'm talking decades, Shay. I mean, you're, he's drawn comparisons to Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal in terms of his ability to be able to dominate the paint. And if you looked at what he did last year, I mean, the guy averaged 27 points a game, seven boards on 60% shooting. That That's unheard of. He's an absolute freak of nature. When he's healthy, he's capable of dominating the game in ways that we just haven't seen. Defensively, he's a rim protector. He alters the way that opposing offenses work. And then offensively, you have to account for him with two people. You have to double-team Zion Williamson anytime he catches the ball anywhere near the paint. But when you have the movement skills of a guy that's 280 pounds, According to some reports, a guy that's well over 300 pounds now. Like that, this is an unstoppable force. The only thing that's stopping Zion is Zion and his health. And that's the question is whether or not we're going to be able to see this guy have a career because of the injuries that he suffered early on. And when you start talking about foot, foot injuries or lower extremity injuries with guys that are over 300 pounds, it gets dicey in terms of trying to project what they're going to be long-term And I think that puts the New Orleans Pelicans in a really tough spot when making a decision on whether or not to offer him a contract extension. Yeah, it's a precarious situation. I mean, they gather up C.J. McCollum, and supposedly that decision had nothing to do with Zion Williamson, which in itself that sentence sounds crazy to me. You're acquiring talent but not looking to what should be not only the face of your franchise, but as I said earlier, the guy that should be the face of the NBA. And so that in itself tells you that you just have no idea where – the Zion Williams thing is going to go in the reports that I read. Canty was that the Pelicans don't think Zion is going to suit up for them for the foreseeable future. Now, does that mean this season and into next season? 
I don't know. But the comparison, I made it earlier to, to Greg Oden, is just, it's inevitable. And mm. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm saying it just, like, realistically. They have played the similar amount of games through the first three seasons in the NBA. So much talent coming out, both number former, former number one overall picks, and both just sad situations. And until I see a healthy Zion Williamson consistent, consistently playing at the level he should be playing at, where we're ooing and eyeing at every single move that he makes against any competition in the league, like, I... I don't know what to say about it anymore other than like the New Orleans Pelicans are going to have a real precarious situation on their hands in terms of giving him an extension, trading him and trying to get money back. When he first entered the league, we thought he was all going to end up in a New York Knicks uniform. You said it earlier, two of his three buddies from Duke are already there. Might as well throw him in the mix. But he's not a franchise changing player at this point, is he? Well, I don't know, and this could be a motivator cuff issue, Shay. And if a player doesn't like the environment that he's in, then I could understand why a guy potentially dogging it until he can find a way to get out of that situation. But that puts the New Orleans Pelicans under the gun. I mean, you're talking about Zion being eligible for a contract extension after this year to the tune of five years, $181 million that would tie the team to him through 2027. So that's a serious commitment for a guy that hasn't shown himself to be able to stay healthy, and that's the concern that I would have if I was David Griffin about making that proposition to Zion, knowing that you just can't rely on a guy to be in the lineup. For as dominant as he is, for all of the special, unique gifts that he has, is this somebody that you're willing to gamble on with that amount of money? I don't know what the answer is. I also don't know what the return on on, on investment would be if you decide to move on and trade Zion, I imagine that there would be a lot of teams that were interested in a young player like that. But at the same time, teams are seeing the same things that we're seeing, which is a guy that hasn't shown himself to be able to stay healthy through the first three seasons. And going back to September, when David Griffin said that he believed we'd see Zion at some point this year, it's starting to sound like he's changing his tune. And if we're not going to see him for the rest of the year, then there's a question in those other teams' minds on exactly what you're trading for. So, again, another tough decision for the New Orleans Pelicans on what they're going to do with Zion. But let's be clear about this. This team is going nowhere fast without making a decision on what happens with Zion's future. No doubt about it. All right, we switch gears next. We're going to go back to the NFL because the season is now wrapped up, right? So now let's get into the mind of bettors. When should bettors be looking to bet? into the futures market. This is that time when you're like, who's going to win this division? Who's going to win the postseason? We're going to do it all next. You're listening to Chris Canty and Shea Cornette on ESPN Radio.